Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Pat Cummins. I'm Josh Hazelwood. I'm Elizabeth Kowaja. I'm Mitch Marsh. I'm Darren Lehman. I'm Mitch Stark, and you're listening to the Unplayable Podcast. This is the Unplayable Podcast reviewing the third Magellan Ashes test here at the Wacker. Mike Hussey is here. This is our first live podcast of the summer, Mike, and we're here to celebrate an Australian victory. They won by an innings and 41 runs and regained the Ashes. Yeah, fantastic effort from Australia. It's great to be sitting here at the Wacker, seeing it live, seeing history made, uh, and I'm sure the players will celebrate long into the night. So, uh, yeah, congratulations to everyone involved. Um, they've done a fa- fabulous job and totally deserve it. Michael, let's go back to the start. Uh, Joe Root won the toss, selected a bat uh, on a wicket that was um, was pretty good for batting. Well, they had a bit of pace and bounce early on. Oh, some serious pace and bounce, particularly on that first day. Tim Payne, I've never seen him take so many balls way above the head. Thought he did a great job behind the stumps, but it was the right decision by Joe Root to bat first. I think Steve Smith would have batted first as well. It was a good pitch. It's always tough to start at the wacker, but once you get in, you can really score quickly. Before you knew it, there were four for 131, and that's when... David Milan and Johnny Best, they put on 237. They made maiden ashes centuries, the both of them, and they batted beautifully. They, I mean, that was a, a real turning point in the game for them. Well, yeah, when they came together, England were in a precarious position there. They could have been bowled out cheaply, but um, wonderful partnership. They both batted magnificently. I thought David Milan, he, he's probably been the find of the tour for England. Uh, he's play, he played the short ball well. He showed good defence. And to be able to continue to do it under pressure shows he's got the temperament and the character to, to have a, a very good and long distinguished uh, test match career. He was well supported by Johnny Bairstow, positive. Um, I thought they ran well between the wickets. And, um, yeah, it was a wonderful partnership. Um, but then once uh, they mm. went, it, it all went south pretty quickly for England. It certainly did. Nathan Lyon with a breakthrough. Milan out for 140. And then they lost six for 35. Has to be all out for 403. And on that wicket, you never judge a wicket, do you, Huss, until both teams are battered on it. But it looked short, and it turned out it was well short of the mark. Well, I thought it was a competitive score. Not, not a big score by any stretch of the imagination. But if you get 400 in the first innings of a test, you feel like you're in the game. But the way the Australians played, whew, they just took the game away from England. Um, England had a little bit of a, a sniff early on, a couple of early wickets. Yep. Um, but then once Steve Smith got together with Mitchell Marsh, whoa, what a partnership that was. It was just incredible. And they batted well past England. And, uh, and it sort of did show that they, yeah, England probably did need more than 400 in that first innings. Australia, 4 for 248. That's when Mitch Marsh and Steve Smith came together. Remember Mitch Marsh's his comeback test match, so the pressure would have been, on him would have been immense. But he made 181. Steve Smith, 229. Let's start with the all-rounder. They put on 301 together, but let's start with the all-rounder, Mitch Marsh. Mike, you've seen him throughout his entire career, from a little kid to, to today as an Ashes-winning all-rounder. How good did he play? Well, I've never seen him bat better, to be honest. He, he has been out for about nine months with an injury to his shoulder, so that's enabled him to go away and really work hard on his batting. And I did pick up a couple of technical changes. He's really trying to get that head going straight towards the bowler, whereas in the past, c- quite often falls over and uh, to the offside, and he's been out LBW and bowled a lot. But he's straight driving 
was so powerful, and that told me his technique was perfect. Uh, once he got his confidence up against that tiring English attack, he was just brutal on them. And uh, with Steve Smith at the other end, his highest test score was absolutely incredible. His hunger for runs is just there's there's no one in the world as probably maybe Virat Kohli is the only other one that yep. has a hunger like uh, Steve Smith. And uh, yeah, you could see the determination on his face throughout the innings and the reaction when he brought up his two hundred. Yeah. It, it was unbelievable. It reminded me of uh, William Wallace from Braveheart. You know, uh, <laughs> he, he, he was desperate to be um, a winning captain and a winning Ashes captain. Mike, we're looking at the whacker now as the sprinklers come on. Uh, some of the fields that England were setting against Steve Smith were just extraordinary. At one point, they had it was a 3-6 field, six players on the leg side. For me, it looked like they'd run out of ideas. I mean, it didn't mm. seem like they really knew how to bowl to him after throwing the kitchen sink at him. <laughs> well... I think um, a couple of things about that is that um, the, the English, it looked like they weren't trying to get Steve Smith out enough. You know, they were trying to restrict his scoring and maybe trying to get him down the other end so they could attack the other batsmen. And uh, it certainly hasn't worked because the appetite for runs for Steve Smith is just unparalleled. Um, perhaps they need to just go back to basics with Steve Smith, be very patient, very disciplined, because that's the thing about setting all these funky fields and changing your plans, you know, all the time. It can be confusing for the bowlers and you end up not being as patient and disciplined as you'd like. And so I think they really need to go go right back to the simple plans of just trying to hit the top of off stump and just every single ball just being so disciplined and, and just trying to build the pressure up on him that way and hoping he makes a mistake. But he doesn't look like making one at the moment. No, he's in unbelievable touch. Australia end up declaring a nine for 662 with a lead of 259. They then took four wickets on Sunday on day four, the last of which... Michael was an unplayable delivery, much like this podcast. Mitchell Stark from the printable stand end bowling around the wicket. He zeroed in on a crack, hit it, it jabbed like a leg break. Warney would have been proud of that one and uprooted James Vince's off stump. Have you ever seen a delivery like that? Whoa. It was brutal, wasn't it? It was absolutely brutal. But you've played on the wacker with cracks well, like this before. Does you have happen? seen you have seen balls like that, yeah. but not so much that pick up wickets. Normally they do too much and yeah. go past past the stumps. But it was a really important wicket for Australia at the time because I thought James Vince was playing really well, probably his best knock of the series. Even though he got eighty odd in the first Test match up at the Gabba, his stroke play was outstanding and. Uh, I'm afraid uh, I felt for James Vince because <laughs> that ball would have got out any right-hander that's ever played the game, including the great Sir Donald Bradman. That's right. Probably would have got Steve Smith out. <laughs> I definitely would have got <laughs> Steve Smith out as well. Uh, yeah, absolutely unplayable. Nothing James Vince could do. And, uh, yeah, that was a huge wicket for Australia. All right, so they needed six wickets on day five on Monday. Today, right now... But they arrived to the ground, Mike, and there was a bit of drama, wasn't there? You were out in the middle. Tell us what was going on. Well, there was a lot of drama. Uh, there was some wet patches on the pitch, and, and, and quite wet, actually. I probably uh, I was a little naughty. I put my thumb in, in a couple of the, uh, the soft spots, and uh, it, it was like plasticine, really muddy, and uh, it took the ground staff a lot of time to dry them out. Um, it was funny talking to the different camps. You know, in the Australian camp, they were all saying, it's not too bad, we should be out there in, in no time at all. And you talk to someone in the England camp, and it was like, oh, no, we can't play on this. <laughs> we're we're going to have to wait till it completely dries. The umpire actually said that we have to wait until it gets into the same condition as it was the night before. And, yep. and that worried me, actually, from an Australian point of view, because I thought it's going to take a long time for them to dry out. But the Wacker staff, who were probably a bit embarrassed by it all, to be honest... Worked extremely hard. There was a lot of showers coming, uh, yeah. passing the ground as well. So it was a, it was probably a nervous time for, for everyone involved, the ground staff, the Australians, and the English. Um, but eventually, um, we got underway. Yeah, Trevor Bales, England coach, said that those wet patches didn't have any impact on it. But you know what? The first ball from that end 
this morning or this afternoon, Josh Hazel to Johnny Besto, it hits right where they were. It stays a little bit low and castles the wicketkeeper and then all of a sudden the groans in the press box and around the ground and I'm sure the England dressing room. But as it turns out, it wouldn't have mattered. England uh, all out for... How many did they end up making, Mike? 218. 218, yes. Josh Hazel take, taking five wickets and England losing the match. Yeah, phenomenal performance in the afternoon from the Australians. I, I personally don't think that the, the wet patches had anything to do with um, any of the dismissals. Even, even that first one of Bairstow, it was just good bowling from Josh Hazelwood. And that's the thing about Josh Hazelwood. He's so relentless with his pressure, but he starts his spell so well. There's no respite for the English batsman. And uh, he was right on the money. First ball... Maybe Besto wasn't 100% switched on. Yeah. You know, um, that, that's something you've got to consider. You've been off the ground, you're probably relaxing. Suddenly you're out there and you've got to switch on um, re- you know, right from the first ball. Hazelwood was switched on. Perhaps Besto wasn't 100% switched. All right. So series wrapped up here. 3-0 Australia regain the Ashes. We move on to Boxing Day. Uh, Mitchell Stark we got alerted yesterday that he's got a bruised heel on his front landing foot, his right foot. Uh, he's got eight days to get ready for that match. Um, who comes in if he's ruled out? But you've got to think that uh, Mitchell Stark's going to do everything he can to play in that boxing test. He's missed out on a few of them, and he's desperate to play in each one from now on. Oh, without doubt, he'll be doing everything in his power to be ready for and, and available for that test match uh, on Boxing Day. It is a huge occasion. Um, I had a good chat to Glenn McGrath about it. He suffered from bruised heels at, at various stages throughout his career, and he said it gave him enormous discomfort. And he said the difference between him and a Mitchell Stark was he was quite light through the crease. He didn't really pound that foot down like Mitchell Stark does. So he also bowled about 20 k's slower. Than <laughs> no offence. <But laughs> so, so he thought it might actually have quite a big impact on, on Mitchell Stark's pain threshold, I guess. So it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, with that. I think if he's ruled out... Uh, and I'm not saying he will be, but uh, if he is ruled out, then I think the logical replacement is probably someone like Jackson Bird, who's been around the squad the whole time. But the spanner in the works is that Mitchell Stark is more of a, 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 a um, and a what is it, a, a pace bowler, I yeah, guess. Yeah, well, he's an out-and-out out strike bowler, isn't he? A strike bowler and a wicket-taker. So Jackson Bird's more like your Josh Hazelwood, you know, line and length, patience, discipline. And whether the selectors might just think, mm, we might need someone with that little bit of extra pace, mm. which has proven to be the difference in this series so far. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But I guess the next cab off the rank is probably Jackson Bird. Would they look for someone with a bit extra pace, Mike? And the, one, the name we were talking about before was Joel Richardson from Western Australia. He's one of the quickest going around at the moment. So they looked about getting a, just an out-and-out fast bowler, considering how well Pat Cummins and Josh Hazelwood are going to really strike the fear in the English batsmen? Well, it's an, it might be a discussion they have. That would certainly be a serious bolter. It, it would. <laughs> you know, Joe Richardson. He, oh, we've he's had played, a few. Tim Payne, Sean Bain, Yeah, well, yeah. Richardson has played T20 for Australia, and um, he started the Sheffield Shield season off quite well. He does have good pace. Um, it'll be a gamble by the selectors, uh, but uh, I'm not sure which way they go. But, yeah, it, it has shown the difference between these two teams is that out-and-out pace, and, and you need that pace here in Australian conditions. So uh, maybe that's something they'll look at. Right, what about England? What can <laughs> they do to, to reverse this to get a couple of wins on the board before they leave these shores? Well, I think there has to probably be some change there, um, especially looking at their attack. I'd say Overton's probably going to struggle for the next test, so yep. that's a shame for him because I think he's shown some signs and, uh, that, he's, that he's up to the level and, and, and got a f- plenty of character as well. We had failed to mention that he has suffered a, a cracked rib yeah. and he bowled a couple of overs with it. He heard it in the field. He bowled another over. He came out and batted again. Just really to be out there. Uh, very brave incredible. performance. Yeah. Uh, incredible effort just to be out there with a cracked rib. But you'd think he's going to miss the next test match. So, um, so there's going to have to be one force change there. Uh, I don't know if there's too much 
change they can make. You know, I guess there's um, balance that could maybe come into the batting order, but he hasn't really done much in the uh, in the game sort of yeah. uh, surrounding games, but around the test matches. So I don't know if they can change too much in the batting. There's Jake Ball and, and uh, Wood that could probably come into the bowling side of things. Whether they look to make a change to one of their, um, you know, senior players like a um, Stuart Broad, you know, he hasn't really had the best series so far. It was statistically his worst game ever here. Is that right? Yeah, well, that's, that's not good. Not a good sign for him at all. But, um, yeah, well, let's see what happens. What about the spinner, Mason Crane? You know, MCG, not known for being a, a big Bunsen-burning spinning wicket, but they just need a point of difference at the moment because at the moment their attack is very samey. Yeah, it is. And Moen Ali certainly hasn't had really had any impact with the ball. Um, uh, and nor, nor really with the bat either. So maybe that, that'll be a discussion point. I, I think the wrist spinner, it's, it's always a gamble, but at least they take wickets, and that's what England need. They need to somehow find a way to take 20 wickets to win a test match. And, yeah, as you said, they, their attack does look a lot the same. So maybe they do need to change it up and, and try and find some ways to get some, uh, some, some more wickets. On a positive note for them, the three players that were under a lot of pressure and scrutiny coming over here, Stoneman, Vince and Milan, they've all batted pretty well. In fact, yeah. they've performed better than Cook and Root. Well, yeah, I think England needed uh, probably Cook and Root to, be, to score the majority of the runs. But they, they've, there's been a couple of real finds here for England, yep. particularly Dawid Milan. Oh, he yeah. he's, looks an outstanding player. Um, he's got good technique and good courage, pl- played well. I think Vince played very well throughout the series as well so far. So, you know, I, I think there's some exciting times there for, for England and, and some positives um, looking forward. All right. 3-0 down. You've been involved in one. Is a whitewash on the cards, Mike? Well, it's on the cards, <laughs> no question. Is it going to happen, though? <laughs> I don't know, mate. I'm not <laughs> a, a crystal ball watcher like a Glenn McGrath is. Oh, I know, because we're going to get to play it or leave it with lots of it later. <laughs> um, well, it's definitely on the cards. Look, Australia are right on top, and they've been playing some wonderful cricket. Um, their confidence is sky high. You've got to think England's confidence is going to be very low at the moment. Um, so it's going to be tough for England to, to you know... Uh, they're playing for pride now, um, but, you know, they've got to somehow try... And, uh, and find a way to, to um, be competitive. And uh, you never know, you know, you never know, but it's unlikely that England are going to get back into it. It's starting to rain here again. They've got the sprinklers on. It's all happening with English press packer over there, the Australian press packer on the field. It's all happening here, <laughs> Mike. Here's this week's backward point. Our backward point this week is about the England captain, Alistair Cook, and... Ricky Ponting said... Joe Root, you mean? Oh, sorry, the ex-England captain, <laughs> Alistair Cook. Um, and before the series, Ricky Ponting said that when you play 150 test matches, your best is past you and you don't normally get better. Uh, he hasn't scored a lot of runs this series. I think he's averaging about less than 14 at the moment. Can he? Can you see it happening that he doesn't end up playing the whole series? Well, I guess it depends on who's on the sideline. Who, is, he, is that player going to come in and do a better job? I, I'm not sure... They've got anyone else that can come in. Um, I mentioned Gary Balance. Perhaps he could. I think maybe there just needs to be an honest conversation with Alistair. You know, how is he travelling himself? He'll, he'll need to be honest with himself as well. And if he doesn't have that desire to want to go out there and get better and to get up for training and, uh, and to be looking forward to the contest out in the middle, then maybe it is time. But only he can really answer that. You know, we can all speculate on the side about how he's feeling. I'm sure he's giving his best and trying his hardest. But, yeah, you know, Ricky's probably right. You know, after 150 tests, it can just mentally and physically, I guess, just wear you down after a while. But I'm not willing to write him off just yet. He's been a great player for a long time. I think you make a good point there that 
if they drop him, who is going to do a better job than him and who in the squad will do a better job than him? And at the moment, you just can't really see anyone stepping into that void. No, and they've al- already got quite a bit of inexperience in that team. So you're taking away 150 test matches worth of experience out of that batting order and putting in a new, another guy that doesn't have that same experience. It's tough and it just puts more pressure on all the other guys in the team. Now it's time for play it or leave it. All right, now we're going to get to the moment that you've been dreading. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to this. And our, our play it or leave it results. Oh. So this is the third test. Your first two are all right. You started off in fantastic fashion in Brisbane. Adelaide uh, came back to the pack a little bit. How do we go this time? All Come right. On, let, me know. let me have it. First one, WA players to score more than 240 runs. Now you played at that. They got 228. Oh, just short. That's pretty And close. Mitchell Marsh put 181 of them. Just need, <laughs> yeah. a, just need a little bit more from Bancroft and, and Sean Marsh. Bangers and Sean Marsh. Just a, you know, a couple more on their home deck, but uh, oh, that's only, pretty close. And they on. only batted once. Yeah, true. That's another good point. All right. You still got it wrong. <laughs> Alistair Cook, as we mentioned, 100 in his 150th test match. You left that one. Well done. Correct. He only made 7 and 14. So easily, easily. It, a it big tick there. Yep. Uh, now, Ian Redpath scored 171 at the Wacker in 1971. That's the highest Ashes score here at the Wacker. Now, you left it thinking that that wouldn't be broken. Got that one wrong, Mike. <laughs> did only, I what? Not only did it get wrong, two people broke it. Got smashed, didn't it? Marsh and Steve Smith, they both beat that, so can't give you that one. Yeah, I'm happy to take a cross for yep. that. That's an interesting one. More than five balls used. There are exactly five balls used. Now, you, because you were... You played at that one, so you got that wrong. But there was, come there on, was mate. Five. England bowled about 20 or 30 overs with, with the, uh, old, the, the second old ball. That they bowled that. about 100 overs with it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So they should have taken the, the, that third new ball. Why to didn't you say something to them? Far two out. of the I first innings, two of the second innings, and just in the 73rd over, I think it wrapped up here in the third, in the third innings for Australia win by an inning. So Can't believe they didn't take that third new ball. And I think it. if we go back to the tape, this is pretty much what I predicted. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you, well, you'll find out this game can come back and really uh, bring you back down to earth quickly. <laughs> As you know. All right, here we go. Now, uh, we said that there would be no doubt in the mind of the, of the captain who wins the toss. They would bat first. Uh, you said that, no, you're going to leave it, that they might consider bowling. I'm gonna, I can't give you that one. Oh, come There's on. no way they would have thought about bowling on that. I think, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, when we did that podcast, I hadn't actually seen the pitch at that stage, so I was having a complete guess, so you can't really uh, fault me for that. Well, and you know what? It's funny, when Joe Root won the toss and they asked him, what are you going to do? He just said, yeah, I'm going to bat, and laughed. <laughs> He's not going to do that again. Yeah. Now, finally, more than 200 mentions per day of the Fremantle Doctor. As you know, we've had a research team. Andrew Ramsey's research team has come out of the wilderness and done a bit of uh, stat gathering for us and it actually has been revealed that despite only a short day on day five that there was 1,010 mentions of the free man of doctor so that averages that. out more than 200 a day so and you, you left that one so you got that wrong I want to see the I've stats I've got the spreadsheet myself. up there I can give it to you Mike but you're going to have to breathe me out. so that means you got one, two, three that's five wrong five wrong one wrong I'm going to have to go back to the drawing board have a good look at myself in the mirror and come back stronger from boxing day we're going to finish, Mike, with your memories of the Wacker. This is the last Ashes Test here. You've got some great memories here, not only in the Ashes Test matches, but in other Test matches you've played for Australia. We can see in the distance there the new Perth Stadium, Optus Stadium, where a lot of the big international fixtures are going to go there. But just here at the Wacker, as we celebrate an Australian win, what are some of your favourite memories? Oh, well, my favourite memory, without doubt, is the same as what these Australian players are feeling right now, securing the Ashes 
on this famous ground in front of family and friends. It was just a, such a wonderful feeling. I think Shane Warne bowled Monty Panesar going for the sweep shot and it's just pure emotion just pouring out of you. The crowd was going wild. We did a beautiful lap of honour, you know, the, um, and, and the, the WA crowd were really enjoying it as well. So that's something that I'll cherish for the rest of my life. Um, the pace and bounce of that whacker pitch, you know, it's... it's Wasn't it, it great to see it come back for this last... Because it oh, was there. It was fast and bouncy. And you put yourself at that in that batting box and think, oh, I'm glad I'm not in there anymore because it really did fly past your nose at a million miles an hour. The fast bowlers, you were licking their lips to get out there. It was, um, it was a great challenge and great place to play. But also, it was a fantastic place to bat. Yeah. Once you got through that sort of first... 20 minutes of your innings and uh, the shock of how quick and bouncy it is. The pitch is so true and you can really play your shots. If it's just over pitch, you can drive down the ground. If it's just short, you can go back and cut and pull in this outfield. It's probably one of the fastest in Australia, if not the world, and you get full value for your shots. So, you know, I, I absolutely love playing here. Some fantastic memories. But, yeah, number one is certainly securing the ashes. All right. Now, it's big bash time. Yeah. Starts pretty soon. The Thunder, how are they going to go this summer? I'm quietly confident. Quietly, I'm not going to start, um, you know, shooting my mouth off too much. But our squad is just, our squad's pretty good actually, yeah. and, and I think it may be a little bit underrated around the around the circuit. And if we can get our confidence up early, and if we can stay fit and healthy, um, I think we could surprise a few this year and, and be right up there. And you've got an Englishman in your ranks as well, don't you? We do. We've got uh, Josh Butler playing the first half of the season, and then um, once he leaves for the uh, one days, then James Vince will come in to replace him. And we've also got a New Zealand quickie in Mitch McLennigan, uh, left armour, who's uh, pretty fiery in the Doug Bollinger sort of mould. So uh, looking <laughs> forward to seeing how Doug, he goes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's exciting. Who's going to be the biggest threat to the Thunder winning it, or who do you think some of the, the stronger teams are? Well, I always look at the Stars. The Stars have got a very good team, but it just depends on how many players they lose at the back end of the tournament because of one-day international selection. You can't go past the Scorchers either. You know, they've got so much depth. They, they've got a great home ground advantage here at the Wacker, which um, has have served them well. They have got a few injuries and a few players mixed up in the Australian team, so that will test their depth to a degree, but you've got to expect that they're going to be up there as well. Yeah. All right, Mike, that's it. This is the second last podcast of the year because we're going to do one after the Boxing Day test match. Um, we'll speak to you then. So, Mike, Merry Christmas. You too. You're going to be here in Perth in God's country until then? I'm going to, I'm going to be at the first Big Bash game, Sydney Thunder versus yep. Sydney Sixers, and then back for Christmas, looking forward to it, relaxing with the family, and then I can't wait to get over to Melbourne for the Boxing Day test. Wonderful. All right, thank you for your time once again. That's it for today's episode. For all your cricket news, scores and video, head to cricket.com.au. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.